Hey, podcast listeners, we're so glad you're listening in. We are continuing to move through a very meaningful season of Lent at Williamsburg Baptist Church, and we're so glad you're tuning in for this sermon from Sunday, March 20th, 2022. My name is Art Wright, and I'm the senior pastor here. And this sermon was based on John chapter 18, verses 12 through 27, which is Jesus's interrogation by the Jewish authorities, as well as Peter's um, thrice denial uh, in which he denies uh, his discipleship with uh, and his uh, relationship to Jesus. So I hope it's meaningful to you in your own spiritual journey. We really are so glad you're listening in with us this Lenten season. We have some wonderful things coming up. First of all, Holy Week and Easter are just on the horizon. We are also hosting the summit this coming weekend, which is a youth conference put on by CBF Virginia. More information is on our website and on social media. We are also hosting Dr. Lisa Wolf, April 23rd, 2022, as part of our speaker series at three o'clock in the afternoon on that Saturday. So we'd love for you to join us for uh, that lecture. She'll be um, lecturing on Mary and Hannah and giving birth to divine transformation and revelation in the world. We really are so glad you're listening. You can head on over to our website for more information, www.williamsburgbaptist.com. You can also reach out to me at pastor at williamsburgbaptist.com if there's any any way specifically that I can be praying for you or anything I can help you as far as connecting you to the, the broader life of the congregation. We really are glad you're listening. God bless you. Enjoy the sermon. Thank you, Paul. Masterful job on reading scripture. And thank you, Jane Ann, for such a, a moving and haunting anthem this morning. Let's start with a flashback. Five chapters ago, John chapter 13, and really in the story, it's just a matter of hours. Peter says to Jesus, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answers, where I am going, you can't follow me now, but you'll follow later. Peter responds, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will give up my life for you. And Jesus says, will you give up your life for me? I assure you that you will deny me three times before the rooster crows. Many of you may remember that John Dominic Crossan lectured at our church a couple or three weeks ago. He's one of the world's foremost Jesus scholars and someone who has long challenged and shaped my thinking about Jesus in the Bible. There's a humorous and imaginative quote at the beginning of one of his books, uh, Jesus, a Revolutionary Biography. Um, it stuck with, the quote has stuck with me for about 18 years now. Crossan imagines that Jesus is standing with him, talking to him, and Jesus says, I've read your book, Dominic, and it's quite good. So now you're ready to live by my vision and join me in my program? And Crossan says, I don't think I have the courage, Jesus, but I did describe it rather well, and the method that I used in the book was especially good, wasn't it? 
And Jesus says, thank you, Dominic, for not falsifying the message to suit your own incapacity. That at least is something. Crossan responds, is it enough, Jesus? And Jesus says, no, Dominic, it is not. I love the raw honesty and vulnerability of that quote. Crossan confesses that he knows what it means to follow Jesus, but he just can't do it sometimes. He doesn't have the courage. If you listen to the podcast that he and I recorded, we talk a little bit about that quote and what it means to him. But one of my other great spiritual guides in life expresses a similar sentiment. Morpheus in the movie The Matrix. He says, there's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. Peter knows the path that he wants to walk on, but when it comes down to it, he just can't do it. We've been in the Gospel of John for months now, and we have reached a pivotal moment in the narrative. The path is about to get much harder for Jesus and his disciples. Chapter 18 arrives, and Jesus and his disciples go to the Garden of Gethsemane. This story is probably familiar to many of you. Judas the betrayer shows up, accompanied by a cohort of Roman soldiers and temple police. It's a moment where we get a good sense of the collaboration between the Jewish and Roman authorities as they work together to put a stop to this, Je- this Jesus movement. And I hope you'll hang on to this point because it's going to continue to be relevant in the weeks ahead. The temptation is to hear Jewish authorities and think that they're just religious leaders, uh, pastors and priests or whatever. But there's really no separation of church and state in the first century. In fact, it may be surprising for you to hear that the Romans actually controlled who the high priest was year in, year out in Jerusalem, and they could install or depose high priests at will. So if you wanted to have a successful career as the high priest, you had to do your best to appease your Roman overlords. Caiaphas, the high priest in today's reading, actually served as high priest for 18 years. As best as I can remember, I think he's the longest serving high priest in in Jewish history under Roman occupation. And so that's a testament to his political savvy as a leader. He's not just a religious leader. He pursues a pro, I almost said pro-Putin, pro-Roman policy. He wants to get rid of Jesus so that Jesus doesn't disrupt the political status quo. Otherwise, the Romans will give him a boot and find someone else who works better for their interests. So Roman soldiers and Jewish police show up to arrest Jesus. Peter realizes what's about to happen. He steps forward and draws sword and swings it and lops off the ear of one of the servants there attempting to take Jesus into custody. Peter admonishes Jesus, saying something like, I have to do what I have to do, and you can't respond to violence, their violence, with violence of your own. And so Jesus allows himself to be arrested. He's taken to Annas and then Caiaphas for questioning. It's nighttime. I imagine Peter and an unnamed disciple following along, Sticking to the shadows as best as they they can, hearts thumping in their chests as they try to stay close to Jesus. 
They arrive at the high priest's residence in Jerusalem and gain entry to the courtyard. And as they're going in, the woman at the gate catches Peter and says, You're not one of his disciples, are you? In my mind, Peter responds perhaps a little too quickly for his own good. No, no, no. Or nope, as, as uh, Paul said, nope, I'm not. She lets them in anyway, and Peter makes his, over t- his way over to a charcoal fire in the middle of the courtyard, huddles around it, trying to figure out what to do, trying for dear life to act casual like he's supposed to be there. While Jesus is inside being interrogated, the group huddled around the charcoal fire asks Peter again, We noticed you have a Galilean accent. You aren't one of his disciples, are you? Peter denies it again, fear growing in his chest. No, I'm not. He rubs his hands together, trying to stay warm and holds them to the fire. But then one of the high priest's slaves who was standing there points a finger at him and says, Wait a minute. Didn't I just see you in the garden not too long ago with him? Weren't you the guy with the sword, the guy who cut off my cousin's ear? Peter can't stand it. He denies it forcefully a third time. It's not me! Because he's afraid of what will happen if they find out the truth. And you may know what happens next. The rooster crows. Morning has come, morning has dawned on the last day of Jesus' life. And Peter has just denied him three times. As best as I can tell, Peter makes his escape then, and we don't see him again until after the resurrection. There's a difference between knowing the path and walking the path. In many ways, it's a heartbreaking ending for this committed core of disciples who have followed Jesus for years now, thinking that this is going to work out. When Jesus is crucified in chapter 19, it's only a small group of women and an unnamed beloved disciple who gather at the foot of the cross to look on while Jesus suffers and dies. All the other male disciples have fled, and even though Peter tried so hard to follow, in the end, even he couldn't. Peter, the brave one, the one who pulled out a sword to defend Jesus, the one who stuck with him for as long as he could, following Jesus into the belly of the beast, into the heart of Roman imperial power, he put his own life at risk, but then he buckles under the pressure. One of the commentators I listened to this week as I was preparing for this sermon said that he was in Sunday school one time with a a brash young man who said, if I was with Jesus, I wouldn't have denied him. That's easy for us to say. But Peter didn't think he was going to deny or betray Jesus either, for that matter. He had said he would follow him to the end. And so Peter becomes for us a mirror that we can hold up to ourselves and see the ways in which we deny and even betray Christ in our own lives. Sometimes we can do the grand gestures of faith, but then other times we find that we inevitably stumble when it feels like the risk is too great. 
Are you willing to be vulnerable and risk your life to follow Jesus? Peter says, no, I don't think I can. I'm not a disciple. I'm not willing to follow through. He reminds me of the rich young ruler in Luke who knows what the right thing to do is, but can't quite follow through either. My hunch is that if we're honest, all of us at times feel like we know in our gut what it looks like to follow God in our own lives, and when it comes down to it, we just can't do it. Or sometimes we know how to be a good friend or a good spouse or a good partner, and then in one way or another, we fail miserably and let them down. It may be that we try our hardest at times and still fail. We still fall into the gap between effort and outcome. We betray loved ones in ways that we never could have imagined. At some time or another, we're all Peter. Folks, in this season of Lent, we are reminded that each of us needs grace and mercy and abundance in our lives because we all fall short. Each of us needs forgiveness because at the end of the day, we are all flawed human beings who sooner or later feel the shame and guilt of denial or betrayal or failure in some way or another. If you haven't felt that yet, just give it time. You'll get there. I, for one, am grateful for Peter's example in today's text because he reminds me that when I blow it, I'm in good company. Folks, I don't know what guilt or shame or regret you carry with you today, but whatever you are carrying, you're in good company. There's an epilogue of sorts to Peter's story. Fast forward three chapters ahead in the Gospel of John. Read John chapter 21 sometime. Peter and some of the other disciples go fishing of all things. And while they're on the boat, Peter sees a stranger standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. He recognizes that it's Jesus, and so he jumps in the water and swims to shore. And when he gets there, Jesus is cooking breakfast of all things, and over a charcoal fire, the same fire that Peter was huddled around just a few chapters ago, denying Jesus. Peter brings some of the fish that he's caught with the other disciples, they cook it over the fire, and while they're eating bread, while they're eating breakfast, Jesus takes bread and breaks it and gives it to them, and then does the same with the fish. It's almost Eucharistic or communion imagery. When they're finished eating, Jesus looks straight at Peter and says, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me? Again, I imagine Peter responding maybe a little too quickly, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And so Jesus says, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And again, he responds, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says, well, then tend my sheep. And then one last time, third time's a charm. Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter's cheeks burn with shame now because Jesus has asked him three times, do you love me? Three times as if to underline that Jesus' repetition of this question undoes any of the damage that was wrought by the threefold denial. And I have no doubt that when Peter responds a third time, he has tears in his eyes because he knows what Jesus is doing. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. If you go to Israel today, you can stand in this exact spot. It's the church of the primacy of St. Peter on the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. Some of you will be there in two months. According to tradition, it's the exact spot where Jesus reinstates Peter in spite of his betrayal and then prepares to send him back into the world with purpose. It's a moment where it becomes clear that Peter's failure and betrayal don't have the last word. Love does. Purpose does. God knows at the end of the day that we are all human beings and that we are flawed and imperfect at best. In spite of our shortcomings, though, in spite of our own denials and betrayals, God's mission still moves forward. Jesus is still faithful to his task, and God is more than capable of filling the gaps of our flaws and then inviting us into a new calling on the other side. Folks, whatever happened in the past, there's more work to be done, and it's good work, and God is calling us to this work as individuals and as a community of faith together. It's time to move beyond whatever shame and guilt and regret we feel. It's time to pick yourself up, dust yourself off, and then go feed sheep and wash feet and go love abundantly and be peacemakers in a world that desperately needs it right now. Because that is what disciples do because the story is not yet over and God is not done with us yet. And friends, that sounds like awfully good news to me. I hope it does to you too this day. Thanks be to God. Amen.